I'm Andrew Nichol. And it's another show. We're coming off what the actual interest deductibility rules are going to be. Now, it's hilarious, Andrew, because only a couple of podcasts ago we said, oh, might not get the rules until March. And then a couple of days later, bam, here they are. They were obviously listening. Or at least we should say the uh, the initial rules. Yes, Andrew, the, damn right. The Minister of Revenue is definitely listening to our podcast. And we gave him the <laughs> hurry up, I'm sure. So what we're going to go over today is... The draft bill has come out, the draft rules have come out, and they will move through a select committee process before coming law. So a few of the details may change, but broadly speaking, this is what we would expect is going to come in, given that Labor has a majority and could pass this tomorrow if they wanted to, given the process. So we're going to go through today the questions that have been answered. We're going to go through some of the questions that weren't answered and just a couple of things we've picked up while reading the documents because a whole heap of documents got dumped like the actual wording of the bill got dumped today we had the regulatory impact statement which is where people like the IRD and the Treasury say what the effect of the law is going to be and give their decisions or reasoning for why they've recommended certain things so there's a lot to go through but let's start off Andrew with the questions that have been answered So firstly, the definition for a new build is a self-contained residence that has been added to the land. So this includes minor dwellings, houses, and a few others that we'll talk about later on. And that's actually an important thing to pick up too, Andrew, because before that, there wasn't actually a definition to this. There wasn't a definition about what is a new build or not, because of course these are going to be exempt. Other thing that's been picked up, this hasn't been picked up a lot of media, but it's pretty game-changing. The definition of a new build has been moved back in time. So instead of code compliance certificate being issued in March 2021, it's now been moved back a year to March 2020. Now, in our submission, we wanted five years, but unfortunately not. We've got one year. Now, this is pretty good for anybody who has purchased a new build over the last two years. Now, why do I say two years when the definition's only been moved back one? Well, because you might have signed up for a new build before that period, let's say November 2019, but maybe you didn't get code compliance until April 2020. Well, previously, we didn't think you were going to be a new build. We didn't think your interest was going to be deductible. Now it potentially is under this scenario. So there are a couple of people that we talked about in our submission saying, hey, it doesn't make sense that these people bought only a couple of months before these announcements were made, but their property isn't going to be considered new build. It will be under this definition. So again, just recapping, 27th of March 2020, Code of Compliance, if your certificate came out the day, 27th of March, or after, new build. The next on the list, and this is a really good one, is a 20-year exemption for new builds on the interest deductibility. So what that means is that from the date your code of compliance issues, you've got 20 years that you can claim that tax deductibility on the loan. And the clock starts from the code compliance. So if you buy a property two years out, then essentially you've got 22 years. Not that there's anything much to claim in the first two years while it's being built, but you get my point. And the key point there, of course, is around rental increases. So by the time you've had 20 years worth of capital growth and 20 years worth of rental increases, by the time it rolls over, you're probably going to be okay. The rent's going to have increased by a sufficient amount to cover any of those taxes. So really good news there for anybody investing in new builds. Next one for me is that that new build exemption 
passes on to the next person. Now, this is all about resale value. And I know a couple of you guys have said to me, Ed, why does this even matter? Well, let's say that you purchase a new build investment property. Five years goes down the line. Something changes in your personal situation. Maybe there's been an unfortunate breakup. Maybe this property isn't the right fit for you anymore. Maybe you've got to sell it because there are some health concerns in your situation. Whatever it is, this means that you are better able to preserve the value of that new build, given that an investor can come pick this up or an owner-occupier could pick this up and purchase that off you and still claim that exemption. So that's really good news for people investing in new builds as well. The next one is that you can include in your interest deductibility modular homes or properties that have been moved, relocatable homes. So that's that again that opens up an opportunity for people who might have extra space on their section that they can relocate something and all of a sudden have an additional interest deductibility claim. And this comes into splitting a house into two as well because well, we've got the land. If we split that one dwelling into two, we've now got two dwellings. So a new dwelling has been added to the land. And I think this is an interesting definition. I'm interested to hear what property investors are going to do to fit within this definition. So is it that somebody brings on a caravan to their plot of land and then changes it in such a way that it's a self-contained residence and gets CCC? In that case, any interest associated with borrowing against that property or against that converted caravan, and I'm just pulling things out of the air, that would be considered deductible because it's a new dwelling on the land. I think there's going to be some interesting things that property investors do in order to be able to Absolutely. fit that definition now that we have it. Because I know what you're like listening to this podcast. There's a couple of you wily operators out there. You've got to figure out a way to make the most of this new definition. Next up for me is this one is less of a positive for people, but I think it's important. So they have clarified that boarding houses will not be excluded if it is provided in a residential dwelling. Now, I think there is going to be some negotiation with the IRT about what this really means. But what they're essentially saying is if you get a boarding house and they consider it to be a residential dwelling, hey, look, even if you're renting it out room by room, whatever it happens to be, won't be considered exempt under these rules. Now, if it is a hostel, and it's interesting, Andrew, in the legislation and in the, all of the documents, they are now not referring to them as boarding houses, but to hostels. So if it's a hostel, if it's a hotel or a motel, a holiday inn, something like that, then your interest will still be deductible. But if they consider that boarding house is within a residential dwelling, so maybe a seven-bed property, then no, that's not going to be considered deductible. Interesting as well, holiday homes, not excluded from that. So let's say that you've got a holiday home that you are renting out on Airbnb or Batch Care. None of your interest will be deductible either in that instance. Now, hang on, Ed, on that note, so if it's an Airbnb, what's the threshold for it to be deductible or not at all? Well, no, if it's an Airbnb, not deductible at all. And this is something that oh, there's been really? confusion about. Well, yeah, because then it's the same thing, because it's a residential dwelling. What the deductibility yeah, okay. is tied to whether it's a residential dwelling or not. And this is different from what I've seen some Airbnb operators out there. Oh, no, no, no. If you Airbnb it, it'll be deductible. No, it's not, because yeah, yeah. it's about yeah, whether yeah. it's a residential dwelling or not, not necessarily the use. But we'll come to that. 
Right. Oh, yeah, okay. Next one is that new lending after 27th of March this year will not receive any phasing out. So there's no deductibility whatsoever on any new additions to your loan from now on. So there is an exemption from that. If you pay down debt and then you refinance up to the value of the original loan because let's say you paid 50 grand off because you sold your own occupied house and you had to pay down your investment debt and then of course you bought a new house and then you could top that loan back up, then that's acceptable and you can still move between banks and that's a really interesting one because I had so many mortgage brokers contact me after the initial announcement with the misconception that there was going to be the inability to move banks and still have that deductibility that's not the case you can still move your loans you can still increase your loan back up if you if you've had to pay it off temporarily but if you top up your loan because you were stacking more debt against your rental property no deductibility no point doing that And the last big question that was answered was around rollover relief. Now, this is a big positive for us property investors. So from April 2022, the next tax year, you can change the technical ownership of your property without incurring the bright line test. Now, just to recap what this is, if you owned your properties in your own name, but then you decided, oh, look, it's just not the right structure for me to own that in my own name. It needs to be in a trust. Well, previously, you would have to wait out your Brightline period and then sell it into your trust, and then you'd have another Brightline period which resets. None of that exists anymore from April 2022. You can just move that straight into that trust and not worry about Brightline, and your Brightline, even once you're in the trust, always will depend on when did you first acquire that property. So that is something that's going to be really positive. The property accountants are going to be rubbing their hands because it's going to mean that there's going to be a lot of restructuring coming in April 2022. So get ready for that. But having said all of this, while it's good to see some of our questions answered, there are a couple of things which have not been answered or just were not mentioned in any of the documents. So first of all, for me, it was all about claiming back interest deductibility if the sale's taxable. Now, let me just explain what that means. So there was this idea that, okay, if you're going to be paying more tax now, what happens if you then sell your property and you have to pay tax under the bright line? Well, maybe you should be able to claim back some of that tax you would otherwise paid and claim that back. So let's say I paid an extra 20 grand of tax from interest deductibility. I have a 30K bright line tax that I then have to pay when I sell the property. Maybe I could claim that 20 back that I've already paid from interest deductibility. Now, what it does say in the technical documents is this may happen. This may be able to offset, but we don't have rules about it. And I haven't seen it in the actual bill yet. So we might see that come through in select committee. That question has not been answered. And there was something else that was noticeably missing, Andrew. Yeah, this is about renovating properties that were uninhabitable and turning them into something that you could actually rent out, so creating a new dwelling that way. So that's been left out as well, and it'll be an interesting one. I guess probably the hardest thing that the government are trying to figure out is how you're going to actually determine if something was uninhabitable and now is habitable, because you might take something that didn't meet healthy home standard, which could be a whole lot of rentals out there, and you could claim that it's not habitable for an investment to rent out for a tenant. So maybe we'll see some changes around that. The other interesting thing that I'll just mention as well that was in the document, and we actually have had to clarify this with friend of the show, Matt Harris, to make sure our read of it is correct. If you rent out your property to Kainga Aura or 
to another social housing provider, the current reading of it is that your interest will be deductible as well. So there is a real incentive. And I know there are some people who listen to the show who are renting out those properties to community housing providers. That interest will be deductible. We'll do another show on that, Andrew, because I know that there are a couple of people listening to the show who actually already do this and who will therefore benefit from it. So those are the questions we've, we've answered, the ones that are still open. The real question is, what's the impact going to be on people listening to the show in terms of the strategies that they can use? So you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to see a whole lot of social media posts from development companies talking about the exemptions of new builds and claiming that their properties are great investments as a result because there's going to be a whole lot more confidence out there in buying new builds as an investment. Now, just remember... Not all rental properties promoted by developers are going to be good investments. They're probably not even qualified to give you that kind of investment advice. So just bear that in mind. Take it with a grain of salt. Everyone thinks their property is a great investment when they're selling it, but it doesn't necessarily, just because you can get the deductibility, doesn't make it a great investment. In fact, today I just looked at some new build investments with a, a developer only a couple of minutes before we recorded the show, and I ran the numbers. I said, these are terrible investments. You need to re- go redo the numbers or sell them to owner occupiers because they're terrible investments. So just bear that in mind mine, run a return on investment calculator. And the other thing is there's going to be an opportunity in existing properties to renovate them, probably not now, but when pressure eases in the market. So as that market starts to cool down next year, maybe that's when you start looking at a burst strategy or something like that. And I expect, as we said before, there'll be something that people listening to the show, clever people, they'll figure out a way to add that dwelling to the land in a way that they're able to claim the interest deductibility and improve cash flow. There'll be some wily people out there. The other thing that I'm already seeing, and this is potentially a wee bit contentious, but we're already seeing rental prices rise. In fact, just before we hit yeah. record a couple of hours, I got an email from property partner here at Opus, Toby Pascoe, who sent me TradeMe's latest stats. So from August 2020 to August 2021, rental prices, according to TradeMe, are up 7.8% in New Zealand. Now, we've talked about that in order to reclaim or to be in the same financial position after the tax changes as you were beforehand, we'd need rents to rise something like 25-30%. Now, if we're seeing 7.8% in a single year, and different data set will give you a different answer, but if this is what we're seeing from the largest website in the country where people can go to rent out properties, then we're starting to see movement there. So I'm expecting to see a couple of price rises. Why Might we not have seen the full amount passed on right now? Well, of course, income growth doesn't increase by 20% a year. It tends to increase 4% a year. And of course, right now, there are going to be a lot of investors who set their rent before these changes were even announced back in March. And of course, you can only increase your rent every 12 months now. So we may start to see some of those price increases still come through and we'll see that within the market. So watch out for that as well. I also think another point to it at the moment is we've still got relatively low interest rates. When they start to creep up next year, people will start to pass on that cost as well. And one final thing, Andrew, just remember, this is not law yet. You can still lobby your local MP for specific changes. And I need to check out, actually, Andrew, who's on the select committee reviewing this specific bill because there may be small tweaks that you could potentially get across the line if there was something relevant to your specific situation. So it's not legislation yet, but it'll become that way pretty soon. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property... 
jump on the Opus YouTube channel. Every Wednesday, 10 a.m., we release a brand new video uh, where we'll teach you something new about property investment. So if you'd like that visual help, go over to that YouTube channel. I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes. Tap or swipe over the cover art. There will be a link in there. Or just Google Opus YouTube or Opus Partners YouTube. It'll be one of the first things that come up. to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 